So it's our last week. I want to thank you for sticking with me. Um, as we talk about a generation, we've covered a lot, both spiritually, psychology, sociology, um, and there is much truth to be gained in understanding the human condition, both individually and collectively. I think we can agree with that. But today we're going to uh, look at the super practical ways you can implement uh, moments of connection, uh, building empathy, uh, and shame detox in the home. Okay. So how do we build safe homes for our children to grow in, for us to grow in, and for us to foster relationships with our neighbors? And for those of you that no longer have children in the home, uh, good news is that you have grandchildren that visit. Um, uh, so you can be this way for your grandchildren as well. <coughs> so just know that. So today, um, which I had to put sideways because there was a lot, um, we're going to talk about these topics, importance of receiving empathy, uh, family motto, um, no phone text spaces, the magic number, table topics, fostering reading, proactive versus reactive, forced family fun day, um, serving together in acts of kindness. Those are the lists we're going to go through. Some of them will be fast. Others will be longer. So um, like a good Presbyterian, I put the long ones at the beginning, and then we really start rolling downhill. So just know that. Um, so the first thing I want to talk about today is kind of this idea of receiving empathy, right? Like Rabbit does not do that uh, very well. If you've ever watched Rudy the Pooh, um, especially from Joy. Um, and think about it, too. Uh, this is just Inside Out for people who grew up in the 70s and 80s. If you've ever seen the Pixar film Inside Out, it's the exact same thing. Sure. You're good, man. Um, so to receive empathy, Dr. Paul Parkin has a great discussion on this online. You can find him on YouTube. A lot of what I'm saying is directly from him. Um, I'm just adding um, things to link what we've talked about the last six weeks, okay? Um, so many people say that empathy is standing in someone else's shoes and seeing it through their eyes and feeling what they're feeling, okay? Um, I want to suggest that A... It's not possible, okay? You're not them. B, when we think we can do that, we start making assumptions about what other people have experienced, and assumptions can lead directly to misunderstanding and disconnection. Uh, so then what is empathy? We have to ask that question, right? So empathy is this. It's just a, it's a small play of word, and that is trying to stand in someone else's shoes. It's just trying, Right? And being able to understand that I am not going to be able to do this perfectly. To try to understand what it's like to be in their shoes. To try to understand what they're feeling. And when you have a generation, which we've talked about, who is risk adverse, right? Trying is the last thing that they want to do because they don't feel comfortable. Trying has inherent risk, right? The only way that we can try to learn how to communicate, though, involves risk. And when we see students sitting alone at school, do we engage them? Or do we say it's not worth the risk? Right when we see um, coworkers who are new to our company sitting there alone at their cubicle at lunchtime, do we say, "Hey, let's go out to lunch"? When we see a new family at church, do we try to find a way to get them into our home sometime over the next couple of weeks, or we say, "Well, that's the pastor's job, or that's someone who's paid's job to do that"? Like, how are we creating connection moments? Right? Because it involves risk. Empathy creates communication moments that are inquisitive, that are non-judgmental and that are validating, and that are compassionate. Those are the key of kind of empathy moments. If you want to be, and this is really easy, like how do I do that? There's a lot of big words, right? It's really easy. If you ever want to be the most popular guy at the party, go to the party and talk about everyone else, right? Like the, the human condition is, 
is wonderful because it's so predictable, right? If you go to the, ho- the party and you talk to the host about them the whole time, you're like, dude, that was the best time ever. Because everyone's favorite conversation topic is themselves, right? If you host a party and all you do is talk about the people that you host, like if you talk about their lives, they go, man, host them. that was the nicest party I ever went to. Like, they really connected with me. Like, they saw the- like, it's not hard to be the popular person at the party. You just make the conversations literally about everyone else outside yourself. Like, it's... It's easy to do, okay? Um, It's everyone's favorite subject. Um, So the question becomes, as we talked about last week, do we move towards communication with our neighbors or do we move towards communication with those we already feel comfortable with? Like that is when the rubber hits the road at the party. When you invite people to the party and the new person, do we we try to include them or are we like, eh, I like my people. And you're funky looking. You got that tattoo on your neck. Not comfortable with that, right? Um, So how do we do that? Um, and why do we do that? Like, why do we move towards the outsider, right? What would Jesus do? Um, if you think about the woman at the well, um, he, he, Jesus could have just ignored her, right? And he had every right to. He's a man. He's a Jew. And she's out there all alone, right? Like, this would not work in our policies and procedures handbook, Right? Um, not to be alone with a woman in a, in a secluded area. Like, that just, just wouldn't work, right? Um, but if you remember the story, he mostly just talked about her, right? And then suddenly she felt uncomfortable because he knew too much, so she's trying to switch the subject to, let's talk about some political issue that'll make it to where you don't want to investigate my life anymore, and he just switches it on, right? Um, so it softens us when we talk about other people's lives. It does soften us. Because we get to rewrite the narratives we tell ourselves about others in the kindest way possible. That's the beauty about it. When we cultivate empathy, we enlarge our capacity to love and forgive, to be accepting, because empathy in many ways is the foundation of those things. Okay? But AJ, your first point was receiving empathy. What, okay, I've not seen any reception, nothing involving empathy. Okay? Um, so for some people, this is, you need to understand this. For some people, giving empathy is not the hardest part of the empathy process. For some people, it's the ability to receive empathy, to make the conversation about them, to be vulnerable. Some people are so overcome in shame that they will not even open, even if you play a hundred questions about their lives, right? Like they won't. And I've seen this in youth ministry so often. You know, you have a student who isolates themselves, and then months later, they come up to me and it's like, well, I don't know anybody. One... People have, I've seen it. I've seen people try to have conversations with you. They make it all about you, right? But you keep it so surface level. Like, you know, how was your week at school? It was okay. My teacher stinks. Man, the, you know, the weather at school this week was crazy. It's text. I mean, yeah, like, they switch to the, like, the most common, like, denominator on conversations, right? Um, and so it's really hard for some teenagers to kind of open up to be able to be vulnerable. This, this happens twice. So, I, again, I've done youth ministry since I was 18. And so the reason I love junior high, it's my favorite age group, is because you get to see the light bulbs go off, right? And so two things happen in the development of an adolescent or a young person. The first one happens for, uh, for girls sometimes around fifth or sixth grade, and for boys it happens sometimes around sixth or seventh grade. You can push it back a year because of iGen. 
And that's when you've been having a one-on-one conversation with them, and suddenly, for the first time, even if you've known them for two years, three years, they're sitting across from you at the Brahms, and they say this for the first time. How have you been? Right? It's one of my aha moments. I love that moment, because they're like, oh, oh, the blinders, the horse racing blinders are off. Like, they realize there's a world around them that they have to engage with. And the second kind of, like, blinders that come off on a student um, typically happen for girls, again, earlier because of brain development, somewhere between 7th and 8th grade boys can be anywhere between 8th and 12th, um, is um, this is what's really happening. Suddenly they're willing to get real, right? Um, And so it is harder for people to do that. And this is the thing. I'm talking to a group of adults, too. I, I said it two weeks ago. We're all recovering junior high students, Right? So everyone's still dealing with this. You still have people in your offices at work, at the people that you interact with at the grocer, at the people you interact with at the gym, right, that are still don't know how to get to those two steps. And it is being able to receive empathy from them and show them empathy that'll help them overcome that hurdle and begin to engage with the world, right, to actually know that someone cares and that they can be cared for and that they can care. If you remember last week's story about the kid holding them holding the baby, the, the ability for him to say, I can love someone, like to be able to come to terms with that. And that's the receiving empathy. Um, that's, it's so transformative, receiving empathy, right? And the main way it's transformative in our culture, and we talked about this three weeks ago, is that empathy kills perfectionism. And when you live in an iGen culture where it's all about success, right? It's all about being perfect, Suddenly, the ability to say, I'm not perfect, and it's okay, goes a huge way to being able to be vulnerable and overcome shame and to have deep connection with people. Like, it is, it is so transformative when we're able to receive empathy. Uh, we live in a perfectionistic culture. So let's just imagine for a moment, you belong to a community where there's lots of people trying to be good people. I can't think of one, right? Oh, the church, right? So like, so there's nothing inherently wrong with this. There's nothing wrong with this. Um, but you can get a skewed perspective of what it means, and it creates problems. We can set the bar of perfection so high that those who not, don't quite meet it are less than everyone else at um, the institution, right? So we can set the bar of perfectionism high. And empathy kills this, um, when you start setting bars in places that uh, are trying to produce good people, two things happen. A, you either start to perform perfectly in public, right? I gotta be, I gotta be on my best behavior at church, right? Like they can't see that I'm screwed up, so we try to have perfect behavior, um, which makes it almost impossible to create authentic relationships. Or B, we start to withdraw altogether emotionally and start putting up walls. Like those are the two things that happen, and then it's impossible for intimate relationships, and it's impossible to be the church. Like, that's what happens in a culture of perfectionism when that culture of perfectionism invades the church. And that is going to be what happens with a generation that's been raised on success and perfectionism. So if you want to reach the next generation, we have to break those walls. You have to look at your teenagers. you got to look at the teenagers or the college or the young adults in your church and be like, I'm screwed up. Right? you got to be willing to be vulnerable. Because they will gladly say, yeah, I'm screwed up too. I didn't know you were screwed up. You go to church. You know, you got a Jesus cross on and... Yeah. Wrote John three sixteen tattooed on your neck. So I don't know why I'm going back to neck tattoos today, so I apologize. Um, so how do we get out of this way of thinking? It's empathy. You introduce empathy into a culture of perfectionism and suddenly it's okay to be perfect. 
we have to lower the walls and receive. Empathy is one of the primary ways to reduce perfectionism, but it only works if we learn to receive empathy. So connection is the primary way that people receive value, and empathy at its most formidable level is not one-sided. It has to go both ways. So I want you to ask yourself this on receiving empathy. Am I allowing myself to be seen? Am I allowing myself to be seen? And two, am I wanting to see others? Because those are the two big hurdles to dealing with empathy. Am I allowing myself to be seen? And two, am I wanting to see others? Am I I even wanting to see other people? Next one, uh, family motto. Uh, I thought the Adams family was funny, uh, but they have their family motto too. It's in the theme song. Um, So John Wooden, famous UCLA basketball coach, carried a folded paper given to him by his father in eighth grade, listing seven-point creed to life. It included, be true to yourself, help others, count and give thanks for your blessings every day. I tried to live by this, and I tried to teach it. Wooden explained. Um, and he carried it with him in his pocket his whole entire life, right? It was just the principles that he lived by. This is what I'm going to do. Um, a motto or a mantra can have great impact on how a child or teen develops. And it's never too late to instill them, whether you're 6 or 60. 6 or 60. You can instill, this is how I'm going to live as a Christian. This is my motto as a family. So this was a really interesting study. Uh, I love studies by the government and by uh, news agencies because they're absurd, right? Um, So this was a study done by Dateline um, where they were talking about bystander syndrome, and they put out a call in L.A. for a bunch of junior high actors, right? Um, And so of the 300 actors, two-thirds of them were given the acting roles where they said, hey, you're going to be in a, um, uh, sorry, three out of four um, were given acting roles. You're going to be... Um, on hidden camera, and you had to pretend to be the bully, the bully's friend, and one of you is going to be the victim in the room where we're waiting to audition, right? So one-fourth of the actors didn't know that they were in on it. And we want to see how these teenagers respond, right, to when someone's being bullied, okay? And so they do this all day, and it's like the parents are like, like mortified that their kid just kind of you know sits there, looks at the script more, like doesn't do anything as the bullying escalates. It's three steps in the script for the person that are acting, right? And finally, at the end of the day, everyone on the Dateline um, thing is like just exhausted because I mean it's just sad, right? Like no one's doing anything. And finally, um, and this is interesting. Most of the parents said, "Yeah, my kid will." Not most of the parents. Some of the parents said, "Yeah, my kid won't intervene because he's more worried about getting the role than he is helping people," right? Like that was, they knew that as they were watching their kids on these, the, the behind the, the two-way mirror. And uh, one of the last people of the day was a dad, and he said, um, my daughter Lucy's going to do great. Why is Lucy going to do great in this situation? Because we talk about this all the time, and how we're to step in, and how we're to be brave, and how we're going to help the little guy, right? And they're like, okay, support parents said that all day, right? And sure enough, the bullying started, and she immediately, like, you could see, like, like radars up, what's happening. And after the bullying escalated to step two, she intervened. She stepped in between the two bullies and the victim and said, hey, this is not cool. You can't do this anymore. Sit down and be quiet, right? And diffused the situation and comforted the kid who had been bullied, right? And, like, the dad's behind the mirror going, yeah! And, like, they had to comfort Lucy afterwards, right? Because, you know, she's, like, 
oh, what just happened? Like, I had to do something like this. They said, you did great. And one of the things that did that is because they talked about it in their home all the time. Right? So developing a family mantra or a motto, like, this is what, um, this is what a chambers is. This is what a, uh, a poteet is. This is what uh, a miller is, right? Like, these are good things because it builds into the psyche of a child or an adolescent. This is who God has created me to be. Um, so it's just real, really intriguing, right? Um, so I, I had to ask the question to myself after reading this, what will mark our family? So me and Corey are still working out our motto, right? We were talking about this on date night two days ago, but like we're getting there, right? Um, and so, and, and we'll be releasing one for what it means to be a yak student here in the next month. Like this is what a yak student is, right? Um, because we want to build that into the culture of our students, that this is how we are defined. This is how we will be defined. Um, so there, um, so here's steps you can take. These are from the book Unselfie, which I gave you week one. Again, if you want for more information, this is how you can create a family motto, okay? Um, so the first one is call a family meeting, okay? Make it special, block your schedule, order pizza, turn off digital devices, make sure everyone's in attendance. The mantra doesn't have to be written in one sitting, so gauge session times based on your kids' attention. Keep it fun. Like, our session times for our kids, we got a six-year-old, four-year-old, and one-year-old. They're going to be, like, one-minute session times. Like, let's just be real. Like, unless we put a Lego in front of them while they're talking, maybe that's, maybe that's how we do it. Maybe stretch it to five. Okay? So call a family meeting, make it special. Review meeting rules. This is good for teenagers. Everyone is listened to. No put-downs allowed. You may disagree, but not disrespectfully. Everyone gets a turn. Assign a recorder to jot down key ideas. Um, discuss who you are as a family. Explain that this is your chance to talk about your beliefs and the kind of family you want to become. Also a chance to hear your kids describe how they see themselves in your family. So this is really, a, how, do, how do you perceive yourself? How do, what is your role in our family? How do you see that? Um, these kinds of questions, uh, they... Um, Figure out, here are some suggestions for conversations. And the answers can determine your mantra, what you stand for. So what kind of family do we want to become? What kind of feeling do we want in our home? What principles do we want to follow? How do you hope people describe us? I like that. How do you hope people describe our family? What do you want to be remembered for? How do you want to give back to others? How can we make our world a better place? So ask those type of questions with your family, especially if you have teenagers. This is a really good, like, rich conversation area because you're thinking about the big kind of questions about life, right? Next is identify your core values. Okay, brainstorm the values that mean the most to your family. Um, the more your students are involved, the more likely that they are to adopt them and um, to help to instill moral identity. Um, create a motto to describe your family. A family mantra is a short phrase that expresses a core value or guiding beliefs. Um, Develop a short phrase that best describes your family, okay? Like poteets, step into help, right? Uh, McElroy's, treat others the way they want to be treated. Um, Cancinos are helpful, not hurtful. Biddings are kind, even if no one's looking. Myers care, right? Like it's just, can be really short. It doesn't have to be super long and transcendental, right? But it can be, this is who we are. Hey, uh, make it memorable. 
memorable. Uh, kids need to hear the mantra often and internalize it. Um, there are several families that have done this and they hang their mantra on their refrigerator or like over their mantle or like it just becomes part of what they see daily. Um, I tell students to do this all the time. Write scripture that encourages you and dry erase marker on your mirror so it's the first thing you see every morning, right? Like just kind of build that into your life. Um, so uh, create personal mantras for your children. It can go a step further. Who are you going to be? Like for Stephen, Stephen's huge for his age, right? Like 98th percentile big. And so even from an early age, we're like, you're a protector. You're a protector. You're a protector. Right? Because he could become the bully real quick with him being bigger than everyone else that is, that's his age. Right? And so he knows that. So we can even ask him now, like, when he's being mean to his sister, Stephen, what are you? I'm a protector, right? Are you protecting your sisters right now? No. Give the ball back, right? Like, there's those type of, like, things that you can kind of instill individually. Um, and it's good. Um, and when you do that, um, keep it visual. Um, some kids make posters, tape it to a wall. This is funny. A tween has it on his screensaver. And then uh, somebody's uh, girlfriend needle-pointed a pillow of her daughter's mantra, and it was the first thing she packed for college, right? She had had it with her all through high school, and I've got to bring this pillow that's got who we are because I'm going to college and I'm stepping out on my own, right? That's cool. Okay, now we're rolling. Those are the two big ones. We're going to fly now, okay? Oh, make it memorable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Create personal mantras for your children. No phones slash tech spaces, okay? There should be areas of your home and your life where phones do not exist. Buy a charging station. That's a cool charging station. They have ones that are metal, wood. I'm sure you can get ones with sports teams decals on it. Um, I mean, you can make this pretty cool. Go to the buy the wood crafting um, a thing at the auction tonight and maybe make one um, there. Um, Yes, I will find as many ways to plug in auction items over the course of the next 15 minutes. Um, so, like, buy, and when you go to dinner, everyone plugs in. They just know. That's our, that's our phone recharge time. Okay? We're not, and we're at dinner. It's not going to be there. If the car ride is less than a half-hour trip, no personal devices. Right? Like, you can plug in your kid's iPhone and listen to the music or vice versa. Because outside, that's the best, some of the best times for interaction. And we miss it because everyone's here. So no phones in the bedroom. Just make that. Teens, I know you hate me for that. No phones in your bedroom. This is two reasons. One, sleep. Like, y'all need it. Phones don't help it. So sleep. For parents, no phones in the bedroom. Because we're a mixed company, I will just say that it will lead to healthier marriages. Okay? Um, so no phones. Um, the magic number. The magic number in all the studies seems to be two hours. So this risk starts to increase both with suicide, depression, anxiety, and the like when um, screen time for two, or, two hours or more a day, and it goes up from there. So if you're three or four or five hours, the more you spend, the higher chances of depression, anxiety, and all that jazz, um, suicide and unhappiness. Um, this suggests, the data suggests that in moderation, not necessarily a complete elimination of electronic devices from teens' lives is key. So I am not saying take your phones away from your teens and they never get to have it again, right? But I am saying, how do we get... The two hours should be your magic number. That should be your start. Now, you're going to find some teens that can handle it a little bit more. There are outliers to this, right? And you're going to be finding some teens that can handle it. 
a lot less, right? Especially uh, middle schoolers, um, they're on the lower end of the bell curve um, just because of brain development, okay? So the key is, uh, key is two, two hours. Um, so my iPhone has a setting where it'll tell me how much I, I'm averaging using my phone every day. Every Sunday it'll pop up, right, and tell me, you've been on average this, your next, uh, this certain number of uh, hours a day. I'm sure you can access that too. And next, I'm going to give you some apps that you can use. So I think one of you asked me last week, how can we use tech as a seatbelt, right, to implement in tech? So I'm going to give you some, some good ones. So here are some monitoring apps that are good, okay? Um, off time, this is for iOS and Android. Um, this app helps users unplug by blocking distracting apps like Facebook and games and filtering communications. It includes information of how much you actually use your smartphone, and you can choose tailored modes like work, family, me time to ensure you have access to the things you need but aren't distracted by what you don't. Analytics on your phone and app usage can be an important wake-up call and can help you curb your habits. Okay, So that's off time. That's iOS, Android. The one I downloaded this week is Moment because um, I saw it on a church blog too. So I'm like, hey, if there's another church person that recommended it, I'll try that one first. So Moment tracks your device usage and allows you to set daily limits. So the app notifies you if you exceed them. You can even use a setting that forces you off your phone by flooding your screen with annoying alerts when you try to extend your screen time, okay? Which every student still hates pop-ups, right? Um, Moment can be used for families, so I can immediately link my phone with Corey's because she just can't get off of it, right? I mean, it's ridiculous, the number of eBay-type websites that she's on spending my money. Um, I love you. She doesn't spend my money. Um, she saves me money. Um, so an option to track your family's device use from your own phone, that's good. Um, Break Free is the next one. Um, this is also iOS, Android. So Moment is just iOS, so that's just Apple. So Break Free incorporates the usage tracking features found in many similar apps, but it differs in that it breaks down the information into easy-to-use, understand, addiction score. So if you, if you like scores, you like top 10 lists, stuff like this, I bet this app is for you, okay? Um, it also shows you how to how often you unlock your phone screen and comprehensively logs your usage for the day. The system makes a great choice for those who like to set goals and challenge themselves. And in an ironic twist, it can also be addictive to try to see how low you can get your uh, addiction score. Oh, the, the joys, right? Um, this is the first one? Off, uh, off time? Off time. Okay. One word, because it's an app. And they like to do that. It's ridiculous. So we're running the English language. Um, Flipid is iOS, Android, F-L-I-P-D. If you find that you need a more aggressive approach to unplugging, Flipid is the app for you. Flipid allows you to lock your phone for a set period of time. And once you do, there's no going back. Even restarting your phone will disable the app, so it's impossible for you to cheat. Flipid can even be used to remotely flip off one user from another user's device which is helpful for teams that want to keep one another on point. Okay, that's iOS, Android. App Detox. Just love the fact that it's a needle. Oh, it's so bad. Um, if you're hooked on mobile gaming, can't stop refreshing Twitter, App Detox can help you make sure that your fixation under control if apps are your kryptonite. You can set your own parameters on an app-by-app -app basis so you can have access when it's not a disruption. Every time you break one of your own rules, the app reminds you to put your phone down. Next one is just very simple. It's just stay on task, right? Stay on task helps productivity in a gentler way. 
This is just Android. The app simply asks if you're still on task at random intervals during the day. If you're someone who gets easily distracted, this app is a great way for you to redirect your focus when your mind is wandering. I would ask, if you have a parent in here and teenagers, this would be a fun meeting to have either this afternoon or sometime this week, right? Get the app for all the phones in your home, okay? Or one of your... And the one I like with Moment is have the conversation at the beginning of the week. How, Moment tracks how many times you pick up your phone, right? So just ask your teenager or ask yourself. You've got to include it on yourself, too. You're going to be shocked how much you pick up your phone, too. Ask yourself, how many times a day do you pick up the phone? Before you download the app, make that guess, right? And then ask yourself, how many hours a day do I spend using my phone? And write that down. And so this is the guess before you begin, and maybe set a prize for who is actually closest after a week of downloading it, right? Um, and then work towards setting goals from there. But this is your seatbelt to make sure that you're not addicted. This is your seatbelt, okay? If you go off to college, you should have this. There's a reason 50% of people that enter college don't finish at the institution that they started at, right? Um, it's because they get distracted. Um, this is your generation's distraction. So put on a seatbelt, and this is a new way to do it. I did it this week. I, I greatly enjoyed it um, and hated it at the same time, right? I thought, there's no way I'm picking it up. Oh, wow, I am picking it up that much, right? Um, and it'll help you ver identify apps that you might need to get rid of. Like, I got rid of Twitter this week. I was just sick of it, right? I never got on Twitter and was happy after I got off it, right? Um, so I'm like, okay, I just need to get rid of this app. Um, even with, uh, my newsfeed was covered with stuff I like, right? Um, so monitoring apps, get the seatbelt. Uh, table topics, okay? Uh, these are great. Okay, we got these at Youth Group. Um, buy one for your home. 25 bucks on Amazon, on eBay. I bet you can get it cheaper. Um, if you are into shoplifting, swing by Walmart. Um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, so, like, they're 25 bucks a pop. They have them for, um, this is the family version. They have them for teens. They have them for dating. They have them for girls' night out. They have them for couples. They have them for happiness. They have them for foodies. They, I mean, they literally have, like, tons of table topics. And all you do when you're sitting at the table with your... Um, uh, phone's plugged in, and like, well, what are we going to talk about? You just pull a topic out, right? And you talk about that topic. Some of them are absolutely absurd, and they're supposed to be, because they're supposed to be quite funny. So, at what age should children be allowed to see a PG-13 movie? And you can all have a conversation on what you believe and why you agree and all that jazz, right? Like, that's, that's a good conversation. Because um, you're asking your students why questions, right? Um, let's check another one. Which animal would you love to be for a day, right? Um, we do these at Yak, especially in the winter, when it's freezing outside and we can't go outside. So we sit around and we do table topics because it creates empathy, vulnerability in moments of interaction. Um, the single best predictor of emotional health interaction for um, anybody is a lot of face-to-face -face communication. It's the single most um, predictor of healthy emotional, um, well, emotional health. So one national survey found that 62% of school-age kids said that their parents are too distracted when they try to talk to them. And the top distraction, of course, is their cell phone. Um, so this is, again, introducing table topics. I would introduce another rule to this game um, that we, we haven't used hard at uh, Yak yet, but I'd like to. And that is, um, so when I was part of an improv troupe in college, um, yes, I was one of those guys, um, there was one of the rules in the improv troupe that if you said no to a suggestion, 
right? That happens on stage all the time. The whole audience would go, like you can't say no. So um, I would say, I don't know, should be off the table, right? So what would you be for an animal for a day? Little no. That's not allowed. Everyone can say, right? Like you can't, you can't say it. You got to answer the question, right? You got to come up with something. Um, if you want to incorporate that as a family rule, even better. I think that's a great family rule. You never, you never get to say, I don't know. You know that. Um, the next one is foster reading. Um, reading is fun. I tapped the page, but nothing happened, right? Um, so research following more than 1,700 people from birth to age 50 discovered that their reading level at age 7 was the most important indicator of future social economic status. Another study found that reading for pleasure at age 15 was the most important indicator of future success as a child. So you have a lot. Reading plays a huge role in not only building, um, like, retaining information, but also, believe it or not, exercising empathy. Okay? Um, Empathy levels is directly related to reading fiction. It's really interesting, especially literary fiction. So, yes, Of Mice and Men trumps Twilight here. Okay? So read books together as a family, especially if you have little ones. If you have small kids, read to them for long periods. I would say 30 minutes a day at minimum. Um, believe it or not, that was normal 30 years ago. Um, it's actually on the low number statistically. Most parents read to their young children less than 10 minutes a day now. So like, and what do you think that's creating for empathy levels? Okay. Um, proactive versus reactive. Um, this one is mostly for parents, but there is... Uh, I think for students too. Um, parents, you have to realize that your kids are digital natives and you're a digital immigrant. So you are going to be behind the times on a lot of this like stuff. Same, same with grandparents in the room, right? Like your grandchildren are digital immigrants, you're a digital native. How do I have conversations with them? How do I talk to them? Um, you should know, hopefully, what are some of the latest apps that they're using, that iGen is using in other cultures. Um, and if you don't, then you're responding you're being reactive instead of proactive. And we know that when we're reactive to situations, students and adolescents and people are just less likely to hear you compared to when you're proactive to a situation. Perfect example is Yik Yak. It was an app that took the college campus by storm about four or five years ago. It was immediately, no, well, it was, it was immediately taken over by essentially trolls and bullies. And it was um, directly tied to several student suicides and it was removed from the college campus, right? Um, but we should be having conversations with students about that and at least fall in the midst of all that's happening and not being reactive afterwards. Um, the second thing is to ask your students' advice on apps. What are they seeing? What, are they, what do you feel like they're doing? What are the dangers that they see? Because, um, they, again, they're the experts in their field. Um, you're not. So um, here are some great resources that are easy for you to use. Um, one is Youth Culture Today with Walt Mueller. Mueller. He runs the Center for Parent and Youth Understanding. It is a two-minute podcast or radio segment that comes out every couple days. It's two minutes. And it just gives you, like, the flyby of this is happening in youth culture. Everything from um, uh, this movie came out. He had a great kind of segment on um, 13 Reasons to... um, what was the 13 Reasons one on Netflix? It was something about teen suicide. Yeah, 13 Reasons Why. So he had a great one. Like, you should be aware of that, right? Like, honestly, Netflix has got some issues when it comes to putting programming on that psychologists think are a bad idea. 
And so like, you should be aware of stuff like that, um, new drugs that hit the market. Um, uh, There's emojis. Yeah, emojis. Like, cool. at, yeah, yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's all-encompassing, but this is what your culture is interacting with. This is a great one. Again, it's like two minutes. Um, so if you haven't, if you haven't followed, set it up as a feature. The other one, which I like, is RYM, which is the Reform Youth Ministries that I'm a part of. Um, that we do a lot of stuff with them here at the church. They have a parenting podcast. They have Parenting Today. Um, and so Parenting Today is a bi-weekly podcast that looks at the cultural issues through a creation, fall, redemption, restoration framework. So PCA Reverend Kirk Cooper and Dr. John Parrott serve as hosts of the podcast and assist parents as they seek to raise teenagers in today's culture. Okay? It's a great bi-weekly podcast. It is long form, so it's a little bit more in depth, but I like that. And this one's for students. It's the same type of thing. Um, RYM also has a student podcast, um, a Monday, Wednesday, Friday podcast that will feature selections taken from various student conferences over the past couple of years. So each episode has a runtime of approximately five to ten minutes. Um, so it hopefully fits into their busy schedules. If you are a reader, if you're like, I don't do podcasts, I don't know how to use a phone. Um, then most of these have um, written material available that goes alongside them. Okay. We're getting close to the end. Forced Family Fun Day. Okay. A survey by the Center of Digital Future found the per- percentage of parents who say they now spend less time socializing as a family tripled in just two years. Okay. So the amount of time that people are spending with their kids tripled. Or a lot of, like in the sense of uh, socializing. They'll be in the same space with them. You'll see them at the restaurants all together. You'll see them at the movies all together. But interacting with one another in the same space is a different thing. And we can fix that. Schedule forced family fun days. Your kids will probably complain about going. But then when they're in the middle of turn four at Cartland Raceway going 35 miles an hour on a full stomach of pizza, they might just think for a moment, I am having fun, right? Do stuff together. Have them invite friends. Okay? Oh, and leave the phones in the car. Okay? Except for an emergency phone. And the, the, my rule with the emergency phone, I would say, is that make someone hold it who's not theirs. So big sister's phone is held by mom. Dad's phone is held by a big sister. Right? So they're not tempted. But, because we all need phones just in case of an emergency. Right? Like, before the cell phone, no help was given to anybody. Um, and it's not like everyone else at the location also has a cell phone in case of emergency. Um, like, just have it there. That's the best way to do it. Um, a family friend might enjoy the break, too, from being unplugged at all times. And if it's just part of what they do, it's really easy to be like, yeah, we don't use our phones here. We just hang out together and enjoy life and enjoy being a reality. It's weird, but Okay. And then, again, when they're on turn four, going 35 miles an hour on a full stomach of pizza, they might realize that they're enjoying themselves, too. So, um, Serving together. Okay? Find ways to serve alongside your kids, um, teenagers, or grandkids. Teenagers that volunteer regularly as teenagers are more likely to volunteer as adults. And if we are the church, find ways of modeling volunteer for your kids. It's a non-plugged-in time that builds empathy. Um, we do Tango Tab already as a church. It's a great opportunity to just go fill bags for homeless people. Um, again, and we do Reach North Texas, which is there too. Okay? Um, acts of kindness. Right? Um, 
In, in fact, study after study shows that a simple act of kindness also activates empathy. That's why it's one of the most nine essential empathy habits that we'll be learning, uh, that you learn throughout the book on selfie. The more kids practice kindness, that is, without the expectation of gold stars or monetary rewards or trophies, the likelier they'll develop the skills to succeed in work and in life and acquire the empathy advantage. Set random acts of kindness goals for a family. So if your kid goes to public school, ask them, what is one way you displayed kindness today? If they're going to choir, you know, for the homeschool kids, what's one way that you displayed kindness to your friends today and talk about it at dinner? Um, that is, again, without them expecting gold stars, trophies, or anything like that. Um, if you are an empty nester or building your nest, um, go on dates together and find ways to randomly help people. Like make it a date. Right? It can be as simple as this. We used to have a, a ministry at um, youth group that did this, and we'd go and leave pies for people on their doorsteps in our youth group, right? Pies and cakes. And we'd run and dash, right? Like it was a lot of fun. Um, only had the cops call on us once. And uh, we'd go and leave the cake or something on the door. We'd run and dash. And I just said a note. We would pray. We prayed for you. Now, and um, we want you to have this awesome dessert. We love you guys. Signed anonymous, right? That was it. It was a lot of fun, um, but that was just a way to build empathy. You can do that on dates, right? I can so see um, Rick and Shirley dropping off pies and running around the corner back to their car. Did they um, eat it? Um, they did. The, the, the families did. I know. Yeah. Uh, so they. they oh yeah, it was people within the church, or it had a loose relationship with the church. Like we had one family that was like loosely coming. Um, and they had gone through like the loss of um, a grandpa or something that week. And we said, hey, just thinking of you from CCE, uh, Christ Community Youth Ministry, Christ Community Youth Ministry. Um, praying for you guys. Love you. Um, enjoy dessert. And that was it, right? We'd run. We're dashing through the trees. All they see is a bunch of people in hoodies running away and their, back, their backsides as they're running because the lawns were really big back then. Um, so do that. Make it a date. Um, talk about the fruit of the Spirit in your life and how it's being seen by others, especially those you don't know well or don't even like. So that's different acts of kindness you can do. Um, that's it for today.